0: Folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at Blackburn on Twitter. It is Sunday night as I'm recording this following the Denver Nuggets loss. In the final game of this season, it didn't matter. This wasn't a, a game that mattered. Although it was funny, it went to overtime, and Nuggets fans clearly did not want it to go to overtime. Everybody was like, let it end, let it end. And ultimately, Denver loses this one. 146 141 in overtime to the Los Angeles Lakers. Not a lot of great vibes, not a a couple of good moments, especially earlier in the game, don't get me wrong, but Denver choked away a big lead. It wasn't great, but hey, look, they were trying in the game up to a certain point. Then they closed with a unit that's definitely never going to be in the playoffs. Uh, And I could say that because Marcus Howard and and Davon Reed were out there who were two-way contracts, and they are definitely not going to be in the playoffs. So, look, it is what it is. Not a big deal. If you had been paying attention to Denver and the standings and everything that was going on over the course of this weekend, not a really big surprise that the Nuggets weren't trying to win this game. The Dallas Mavericks and the... Golden State Warriors were tied heading into the final game of the year, and, and a Golden State Warriors win would clinch a three seed for them. And the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets were tied in the in the uh, win loss column, and a Utah Jazz win would have clinched the five seed for Utah. So as this as this day kind of progressed, it became very clear, that Golden State, Dallas, and Utah were all going to win their games. So it didn't really matter what Denver did. They were going to be locked into the sixth seed either way, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We'll talk about that in the second and third segments, don't get me wrong. But let's start by discussing what happened in this final game of the regular season that saw the Nuggets finish 48-34 and 34 in the regular season. They allowed 41 points to Malik Monk. Let's start with that. Malik Monk was a killer in this game. 41 points on 14 of 25 from the field, 7 of 14 from 3. Austin Rivers couldn't really stop him. Bryn Forbes couldn't really stop him. Bones Highland couldn't really stop him in the starting unit. And then in the second unit, when, when Malik kind of played later in the game, Marcus Howard, Davon Reed, Falco Camposo, they couldn't stop him either. This was a Malik Monk game. This was also an Austin Reeves game, uh, who was a young rookie for the Lakers, and he put up a massive game in this one, a 31-point triple-double, 31 points, 16 rebounds, and 10 assists in 42 minutes, played 42 out of 53 minutes in this game, and was probably the best player on the floor, might have been Malik Monk, not really sure who to pick there, but... Uh, Austin Reeves was a killer. He was drawing these meh fouls, these, these ones where, when you're not as athletic as the opposition, you kind of bait them into moving into a certain direction and then kind of draw the foul, kind of leaning in, leaning away, and then drawing the foul that way. He, he got to the line 14 times somehow. Well, it was just another example of, of one of the reasons why I don't know if any of these guys, uh, Bones, Forbes, Outside of Austin Rivers, Bones, Forbes, even Davon Reed, though he's not going to play, and and Faku, none of these guys could really defend or or stay in front of their guys. And it's one of the reasons why I'm a little bit concerned in the playoffs for when Denver's having to chase around Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, when they face the Golden State Warriors. It's not looking likely that any of these guys are going to get a massive uh, chance to go out there and guard the opposing team's top talent—that's uh, a—that's a point of concern. That Denver could not stop Malik Monk and Austin Reeves, uh, but again, this game didn't matter. The starters in this game were pretty much all plus. Uh, Bryn Forbes was the only minus, but he played the most time, and he also overlapped with the second unit guys. Uh, Bones Highland was probably man eh, not nah, I don't know he was he was fine. I think DeMarcus Cousins was honestly probably the best of them all. Uh, 17 points on 5 of 7 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, 9 rebounds, including 4 offensive rebounds against Wenyan Gabriel, who was the biggest player on the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, That's not a surprise to me. Jeff Green also had a really strong game, 16 points on 7 of 8 from the field, only 2 rebounds for him, uh, but it's not the biggest deal to be crashing the, the defensive glass and the offensive glass in a game like tonight. But it was still a good tune-up, and I thought that Jeff Green looked very athletic, did a really, really nice job of tuning up himself in a situation where he's, he's going to have to be impactful in a lot of these games as an off-ball mover, an off-ball cutter. And he had several moments where he drew fouls, where he got to the rim and finished above the rim in a way that only Jeff Green really can on the Nuggets roster outside of maybe Aaron Gordon. So very impressive stuff from him. Very athletic stuff from him. That was pretty cool. Bones Highland, bad shooting night from him. Six of 15 from the field, two of nine from three. Did have six assists. Had three blocks somehow. Not sure how that was manifested, but he did have a nice block on Austin Reeves. Uh, It might have been, actually, no, it was Austin Reeves. Uh, so that was kind of interesting, but yeah, it was just a a weird night from him. Not, as, not a good defensive night from him at all. Uh, that's something that Nuggets fans are probably going to have to watch in the playoffs. He's probably not going to play as much as people want him to play because there are some things that he just struggles with defensively that he should not be asked to do this year anyway. He's being thrust into a position where he has to do too much anyway because nobody else really can. Uh, but he's going to struggle defensively in the playoffs. I'm, I'm already gearing myself up for that and him getting pulled at a certain point. But Austin Rivers was his normal self. Uh, drove to the rim and had some nice dishes. Uh, a nice steal on a drive. I think it was from Taylor Horton Tucker. But it might have been from Malik Monk too. Uh, overall reasonable game from Austin Rivers for sure. Bryn Forbes, I want to talk about him because he's kind of that guy that's on the bubble in the rotation, right? Like he hasn't played a lot, but Davon Reed's not going to play in the playoffs and he was playing before. So Denver, they've, they've got some things to figure out with their playoff rotation, right? Like you're not going to know whether Bryn Forbes is going to be in it or not. And, and I'm going to kind of default towards he's not going to be out there for much of this playoffs. And the big reason for that is is because Denver's going to need to default to some of these defensive guards a bit more. Austin River's going to play a lot. Um, and Frankly, that's it. So maybe they will have to play Bryn Forbes. Maybe that is something that they're going to do, but trusting Bones Highland in that situation over Bryn Forbes might be something too. It's going to be tough. I'm, I'm thinking of Denver's roster right now and what they need. And what they really need is Jamal Murray. And just just as somebody who could be in there and kind of be solid enough defensively that it doesn't really matter. And the offense is obviously outrageous with him on the court, and he's he's somebody that takes a whole bunch of attention. But I don't know. I, I think of Bryn Forbes right now: twenty-four points, six of eleven or six of fourteen from the field, five of eleven from three, got to the free throw line seven times, had a really strong offensive shooting performance. That's not really where I'm concerned at all. I just don't know what he's doing defensively half the time. It feels like he's a step slow as well as being uh, like six inches too short. And he gets crossed up on defensive coverages far too often for somebody who's supposed to be a veteran who should be very solid in his coverages. So there are times where when he sits down and guards the man in front of him and simplifies the game that he does a pretty decent job. But there are also times that his athletic limitations are definitely hurting him. So I'm, I'm concerned. I'm definitely concerned about Denver's guard and wing rotation heading into the playoffs against one of the most dangerous guard and wing rotations in the entire league. And I think it's fair. I think it's definitely fair to be concerned. So we're going to see whether Bryn Forbes is involved there. And I don't know. We're just going to have to see. Onto the bench, really quickly before we hit a break. Jamichael Green played more of the minutes up front than some of the other guys. Not the most minutes of all the guys, but 11 points for him, nine rebounds, three assists, three steals, one block. This was a strong night from Jamichael Green. The only two shots that he missed were jumpers, and they were bad jumpers, and I, I would be a little bit worried if I were the nuggets about Jermichael Green's jump shooting form, but he's going to be a guy that gets in and around the paint and really causes some damage. And as long as he's solid defending the perimeter on the other end of the floor, he's going to be a guy that they're going to have to trust. And I'm going to mention this in the third segment, but I think he's going to play more than DeMarcus Cousins and a significant, significantly more in general than DeMarcus Cousins for obvious reasons. Zeke Naji, Vlaco Chanchar, they both returned in this game, and it wasn't a great performance for either of them. I do think that Vlatko was better in general. Not really sure what Zeke was doing for a lot of his possessions, and he really struggled kind of in all areas, shooting the basketball, defending, uh, not necessarily knowing where to be in a lot of those cases. He took a Two feet on the line, three-point jumper in the corner, and he just seemed very out of whack, which isn't really surprising, given that he had missed six weeks, two months, whatever, and had missed time before that, too. So I'm not really surprised that Zeke struggled. It's tough because he's one of those guys that if, let's say, DeMarcus Cousins struggles, Davon Reed's not available – you're going to slide Jamichael Green to the five, you might need to have Zeke at the four at various points. And I'm just not sure that he's ready for that. And I don't think this game really changed my mind on whether he was ready. And I'm sure it didn't change the coaching staff's mind. So I'd be concerned. And that's not really a surprise, but it's just a very unhelpful byproduct of all of the injuries that are going on. Same with Vlatko. Uh, 24 minutes, one of two from the field, two points, eight rebounds, four assists. I thought some of his passing was really, really nice, and he could potentially buy some uh, easier baskets in general throughout a playoff series. Just because if he's out there, if he makes the, the easy pass to the cutter or kicks it out to the three-point shooter, dimes up somebody, that's where playmaking comes in that it's not necessarily expected. And can be helpful throughout this throughout the playoff series. So maybe that's something that happens for them. But I'm not really counting on that either. I, I just don't expect either Zeke or Vlacko to really play that much. Which, if you're taking them out and you're taking Marcus Howard and Davon Reed away as two-way contracts, then you've got the guys who played tonight. You've got the guys who are out. And then you've got, uh, well, you've got Faku. And Faku didn't necessarily go out very well either. He played nine minutes tonight, and I thought there were reasonable minutes at the start, and, and he was zipping around the court doing his normal Faku thing. And he started missing a couple shots, and he missed a layup in transition where he thought he was fouled, and the Nuggets collect a rebound, and Faku decides to take out his frustration by two hand shoving Wayne Ellington in the back while Wayne Ellington wasn't looking. And look, I'm not known as a Faku defender, that's for sure, and I'm certainly not going to defend him here. Wayne Ellington didn't do anything to Faku. Faku just went out of his way in game 82 to just two hand shove a veteran who wasn't even paying attention to him. So that's kind of a BS move, in my opinion. And he deserved to be ejected, and the Lakers coaching staff was very upset at what was going on, and the Lakers players were very upset, and I'm, I don't blame them. It's hard not to blame. This is this is the last game of the regular season. And Faku's out here potentially injuring guys who are just trying to then have their vacation. Like tomorrow. So I don't know. It's just it's not the best move and is just kind of a natural byproduct of what has been a really difficult season for Faku Campazo. So I hope that this isn't the last thing that we see from him. I would love to see something more positive from him. In general, whether it's in the playoffs or if they re-sign him, then maybe there's something different. But I, I just don't think that that's going to happen. So I don't know. Really bad way for him to go out, and I'm I'm pretty disappointed in how he did it. That's uh, uh, it's not great. Either way, 48 and 34 on the regular season. When we come back, we are going to discuss some tr- just general thoughts on the season as a whole. I'll have some more thoughts kind of removed from the regular season over the course of this week and then and then onward after the playoffs in general. But for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk about the season. But first, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. The NBA playoffs are here. And as you know, NBA basketball fans, the play-in tournament is about to take place There are some great, great opportunities to make some money as the Brooklyn Nets will play, the LA Clippers will play, the Minnesota Timberwolves will play. There's a lot of teams that are involved in this thing. And my favorite game that I'm I'm really looking forward to is the LA Clippers versus the Minnesota Timberwolves in the 8-7 matchup as Patrick Beverly faces his old team that traded him in the offseason. And I'm sure that there's going to be some shenanigans when you get up to that one. And DraftKings, they're giving you an opportunity over the course of this week and then into the NBA playoffs to bet on all of these games, to get in on the parlay action where you bet on multiple outcomes from the same game for a larger payout. You can have a lot of different bets, a lot of different opportunities and new users for DraftKings. They're going to get some great benefits too. I know that if you sign up, Using the promo code MHS, you'll get in on all of the action as DraftKings sees fit. They're going to give you a great, great deal if you're a new user. And even same users will get deals throughout the playoffs as DraftKings tries to uh, bring their returning users back into the fold with new and improved odds on a lot of different games across the board. So make sure to use promo code MHS. When you sign up, that's for Mile High Sports, MHS, if you're interested in this one. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sports for for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome back, Pickaxe and Roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, Five Stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh try to put this out as often as possible. I missed a day last week, but don't make- don't worry. I'll be making up a day this week and we'll be getting out a bunch of podcasts as the nuggets get prepared for the NBA playoffs. But for now actually, let me just let me just say this. Wayne Ellington just tweeted, and he tweeted at Vaku Composo saying, "When I see you, I'm putting my hands on you at Vaku Campazo. look Wayne Ellington is a veteran who's been in the league and and was just doing his job. <laughs> it was just uh, man, what a what a sad, sad thing um all right let's let's talk about the regular season. Let's talk about what's going on here look, this this year Denver finishes 48 and 34. They're over under at the beginning of the season was 47 and a half. And frankly, here's here's the thing. It was a joke that it was set that low because Nikola Jokic is a wins machine. He's always going to put Denver into a great position where they could go over that total. I was just surprised at the beginning when when the line was set that low. What I didn't account for, and I'm even sure what Vegas didn't even really account for, was Michael Porter Jr. going out 10% of the way into the season and then missing 90% of the games, as well as Jamal Murray not playing at all. Like I'm sure that they thought he would be back, I don't know, maybe March, early April, somewhere around like five to 10 games ago. And at that point, you, you could understand why. They had it at 47.5, but I still think that it was pretty low, and the fact that Denver was able to push this thing up to 48 and 34 was pretty impressive. Definitely, definitely impressive stuff from Nikola Jokic, from every player that stepped up and filled a role that was bigger than what they would normally fill. Aaron Gordon was the second option for much of the year. Will Barton, second, third option for much of the year. Monte Monte Morris, excuse me, stepping up as the starting point guard. Jeff Green stepping up in place of Michael Porter Jr. and playing a starting role for much of the season. It was a really big deal to have all of those guys step up and be in situations where they were probably uncomfortable for much of the year, but still were able to make it work. And look, everyone was pushed too high. The pecking order sort of toppled after about... Well, there was a, there were two initial stretches I think where it toppled. Uh, the first was in middle to late December, where Denver was really struggling. They were struggling to figure out which guys they would close with. Faku was closing in a lot of these games as the point guard. It wasn't a great look, and there were a lot of questionable rotation decisions and just choices I think that were made and. Not having a backup center was a really big deal for much of the year. It wasn't just the talent barrier either that really affected the team. It was just the strain that also affected the team throughout the year because when Jamal Murray isn't there to take 20 shots on certain nights and when Michael Porter isn't there to take 15 to 20 shots there for certain nights, a lot of guys taking a lot of shots, playing a lot of minutes, having just the brunt of the burden on them for much of the season. And I'm not surprised that kind of mid to late December, kind of mid-March area, that there were a lot of times where Denver's guys just looked exhausted, just looked tired. And I think Will Barton was clearly most affected by this throughout the year. Aaron Gordon had his ups and downs, but he pushed his way through and sort of made it through in a big way, I think Faku was also really affected by this. And and I'm not surprised by that. We've seen other point guards, especially kind of the older EuroLeague point guards, come through and sign these two-year deals with teams where the first year is generally pretty good. Milos Teodosic comes to mind. Second year, not so much. and The team either becomes disenchanted with him or the player becomes disenchanted with the situation. I think Faku really kind of fell into that latter category where there's just a lot of drama that goes on in the NBA, and you need a lot of pace and space and shot making and athleticism, and that's just not really his game. And I'm not surprised that it didn't really pan out, especially where Denver's talent level was and couldn't really mask a lot of those difficulties. But with all that being said, Denver did go over their, their win total. I think two guys are the big reasons for that. Nikola Jokic and Bones Highland. You knew what you were going to get from Monte Morris, from Will Barton, from Aaron Gordon, from Jeff Green, Austin Rivers, guys like that. Those guys stepped up at various points throughout the year. Denver traded for Bryn Forbes. They signed DeMarcus Cousins. Those were big points. Those were definitely big additions at various points throughout the year that got Denver to the place where they needed to go. But to take them over the top, the Nuggets needed their star player to really step up. And they needed an unlikely helper. And Nikola Jokic, like he, he was the star. And then he turned into a superstar. And then he turned into a megastar. And that's really what this year was about. Because only player to score 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 500 assists... Breaking the PER record, breaking the BPM record, things like that. His on-off stuff is incredible. The second MVP is likely on the way, and I don't need to explain to all of you why he deserves that honor. He clearly deserves the honor because there was a lot of ups and downs for this Nuggets team, but Nikola Jokic was a metronome throughout it all. He had a couple bad moments, including the the push in the back for Markeef Morris, for Markeith Morris, but I think throughout the year, it's mostly just been him putting his head down and working and making sure that he's getting Denver across the finish line, and he did. He absolutely did, and Denver got to that place, but unless Bones Highland stepped up in the way that he did in the middle of the year, then I think we would be talking about the Nuggets in the play-in. His ability as a shot creator and as a playmaker off the bench saved the Nuggets. There is no doubt in my mind that they would be in a much worse position, much more similar to like the Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook Thunder, when both of those guys had injuries and they were out for the year at various points. You would see Kevin Durant. Kind of shoulder the burden one year, and then you would see Russell Westbrook shoulder the burden the other year. And in those years, they were basically lost, and they could barely get to the playoffs, or they didn't make the playoffs at all. And Denver needed somebody who would step up, somebody who would bring some energy, who would bring some skill level, and would bring some passion to the fold. And I think that Bones Highland was very, very important. They would not have survived this year unless he took over a backup point guard, and unless he really reinvigorated the second unit. Because the strain on the season was real. It was absolutely real for everyone. And not to mention kind of the carrot on the end of the stick with the injured guys. That was very difficult too. Uh, Not just for media, and I I think the players and the fans and uh, the coaching staff, they obviously probably know more than, than everybody else, but you can't tell me that there was a mass like there was a massive drop off in March at various points from a variety of other guys and I have to imagine that at that point they were probably gearing up for okay maybe we could get some help and when it never came there's some really stressful points throughout the year because of that Also I explained this on a previous podcast the information flow It just hasn't been normal on these injuries, particularly this year, but also particularly Denver's medical staff. It's the choice that they've made. It's absolutely not something that you would expect to see. Um, I'm surprised by it. I hope that things kind of normalize at a different point, but I just don't expect that happening. I don't expect this changing. It's kind of been a thing for Denver throughout the year where, Don't really get that many updates on any of the guys, so I don't know. We're going to have to see if this is just a a one-time thing or not, but it really did bother everything where information on Michael Porter and Jamal Murray and even Zeke Najee and Flacco Chanchar was sort of put under the rug or locked in a safe, and you just didn't know what was going on with those guys. There was some hope. Denver not shutting those guys down provided some possibility for light at the end of the tunnel. But there's only so much that possibility can take you. And I'm I'm sure that Nuggets fans, obviously, were feeling the brunt of that. We're feeling the pain of that. It was tough. And maybe the reinforcements are coming. We did just get to see Flacco, Chanchar and Zeke Nagy. Maybe there's some possibility for some other guys on the way. And that would be a big deal. But either way, 48-34 and 34 is not a bad record, all things considered. 48-34, 6th in the Western Conference, basically the 12th ranked, tied for 11th ranked team in the NBA. That's pretty good without Jamal Murray, the guy who scored 50-42-50 and 50 in the bubble, 40 in a closeout Game 7, and then Michael Porter, who had a 20-point quarter in last year's playoffs and played some of the most minutes of anybody in the bubble as a rookie and was very valuable doing it. It's tough. It's tough. We're just going to see. We are just going to see how the season finishes, but it's not over. And I hope that Denver can be in a situation where, potentially more season can be played. Because the Nuggets can beat the Warriors. It can happen. Nikola Jokic is that good. And the Nuggets have enough, I think, switchable veterans and hope that the the Warriors don't make their three-point shots at a high clip that there's a possibility that Denver's able to push this long or even able to take the series. And the longer that Denver's able to go, maybe Murray and Porter could feel comfortable making a return at a later date. I don't want to get ahead of myself, though. But what I will say is that in Jokic, all things are possible. There's no doubt in my mind that he could be the best player in that series against Steph Curry. Even when he's facing Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, and everybody that the Warriors have to throw at him. They're going to throw a lot at him. But I do believe in Nikola Jokic. And in his... Nuggets tenure. He has not lost a regular season or a first round playoff series yet. So we're going to see. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to ask seven questions to prep Nuggets fans for a Golden State Warriors series at the outset. We'll be right back. All right, back here, final segment, pick, axe, and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, really interesting end to the season. Not so interesting final game of the season, but I do think that it's going to be very interesting to see how Denver approaches the playoffs. Now that they're kind of there, now that they can really ramp up. You saw that Nikola Jokic sat out, Monte Morris, Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, they all sat out too. Uh, Jamal Murray Michael Porter Jr. obviously didn't play but that's because they're out. Maybe that changes. you never know like hey, we'll just have to see how that goes but I do think that the most important thing for Nuggets fans to really recognize here is that the playoffs are here and nobody expects the nuggets to go far like this is and I, I hope that the nuggets internally can can recognize this too that the nuggets i think are playing with house money right now because of the injury situation it's not what they would choose nobody would choose that like there's no there's nothing like enjoyable about having to play with house money here but they are in a situation where they can kind of go under the radar and i know that they're going to open up as pretty big underdogs against golden state and if they push that series to 7 or they even upset them especially if jamal murray doesn't come back then that would be a really impressive, impressive win. And even if you get kind of trounced in the second round by Memphis, or you go to the Western Conference Finals and you get trounced by Phoenix, nobody expects the Nuggets to win a championship without Jamal Murray. Nobody expects them to win a championship without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. This is a really tough blow, where nobody in the NBA is expecting you to go that far without the best of the best on your roster. And that's okay. That is an okay thing. It sucks, but I hope that Nuggets fans can contextualize this. And I, I understand that it, nobody wants to like just assume that things are going to be bad. But I am here to tell you that the expectations for the nuggets are that they are not going to advance. If they do advance, then you should feel fantastic, fantastic about it, 100%. With that in mind, let's go through these seven questions that I have. Number one, how is Steph Curry doing? He hasn't played in a while. It's been, I think, three weeks, somewhere around there, three and a half weeks, since he initially went out with his injury. I don't even remember what he has. I think it might have been an ankle sprain or something like that but he hasn't played since he sustained that injury and all of the reports coming back from that injury were that he would be back by the first round of the playoffs now everybody felt pretty confident about that there was definitely belief within the lake or within the warriors organization that he would be back and i don't think that they would put that out there if they didn't at least think that it was a strong percentage But here's the thing, coming back from injury is pretty tough and the Warriors are going to need probably peak Steph Curry in order to beat Denver because they have a specific matchup that is going to be very difficult for the Warriors to handle. They're going to struggle to stop Denver, in my opinion, and they're still going to need to outpace what the Nuggets can do because of what Jokic can do. So, how is Steph Curry doing? Is he coming back at 100%? Is he coming back at 90%? Is he coming back at 80% or less? That question and that answer might be what decides the series. How healthy is Steph Curry? And can he be the best player in the series? If he can, then the Nuggets have no chance. If he can't, then they will always have a chance. Because having the best player in a series is a really, really big deal. Just ask the Port and Trailblazers last year. Number two, will Jeff Green or Austin Rivers start by the end of this series? This is a matchup-related question, and it probably has to do a lot with what the Warriors are going to throw out there, what they sort of counter with, And then what the Nuggets are forced to counter with, too, because I think if you're Denver, you're probably going into game one of the series with Monte Morris, Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, and Nicole Jokic. Now, Jeff Green is a veteran. He understands what he does. He understands what he does well. He understands how to impact the game. He needs to be great in these playoffs in order for Denver to advance. That's just kind of the the burden of this pressure that's now on him. However, the Warriors, they might start Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, and Looney. That's probably what they're going to go with initially. There's a possibility that they go to three-guard lineups pretty quickly, with Jordan Poole coming in and probably playing over somebody like Andrew Wiggins, maybe even pushing Kevon Looney out of the starting lineup, and having Draymond guard Jokic. Now, I'm not sure the Warriors really want that for 48 minutes, so maybe Jeff Green stays in the lineup. Maybe he just guards uh, Jamichael, not Jamichael, Draymond Green when he's out there. But I do think that there are going to be some lineup questions, and I wonder if Monte Morris and Will Barton are out there, whether Austin Rivers would be a better candidate to be chasing around Steph Curry for much of these playoffs. Denver may not want to wait to bring in Austin Rivers. He might have to start the game. And if he starts the game, then who goes to the bench is a big question. Number three, this is sort of connected. Who do Monte Morris and Will Barton guard if the Nuggets or if the Warriors start big? You've got Steph, you've got Clay. You've got Wiggins, Draymond, and Looney. I have to imagine that Aaron Gordon will not guard Steph Curry. It is not in his best interest, and it's not in the Nuggets' best interest, to start him on an off-ball mover. Somebody who is going to be sprinting around screens. That is a great way to wear down Aaron Gordon. I think you'd prefer him to guard Clay. You'd probably even prefer him to guard Wiggins, but that's not really an option. You need him to probably guard Clay, be a big body, get into him consistently, and that means that I think Will Barton will probably guard Andrew Wiggins. That would be my guess there. That's probably what we're thinking of at this point, and that's a good thing. For Denver, I think, because if Andrew Wiggins always feels like he has to go to his mismatch, and if Will Barton can handle that, then Denver's in a good place because it means that Steph Curry is not touching the ball. Klay Thompson is not touching the ball. The best way to defend those guys is to prevent them from touching the ball in the first place. That's a good thing. However, it is a size mismatch, and Will Barton has struggled to defend without fouling in those situations. And it also leaves Monte Morris guarding Steph Curry. So, there's a lot of questions to answer. There are a lot of things to think about in this. And I am very curious to see how the Nuggets handle it. Number four. How do the Warriors guard Nikola Jokic? There are three kinds of ways that I think... I think there's three general ways to think about it. And you could always switch up matchups to Maybe have Draymond guard at various points, but I think they would prefer for him to be a rover on the defense and then to do things around that, knowing that Kevon Looney is guarding Jokic. Do the Warriors guard Jokic one-on-one? Do they dig and recover to their assignments, trying to force the ball out of his hands and kind of play cat and mouse? Or do they hard double? Do they try to get the ball out of his hands, force other guys to make decisions with the ball? I think... They'd be justified to do any of those things, because if they let him go one-on-one, then you're not letting others into the game. You're forcing all of the burden to be on Nikola Jokic's shoulders. If you go dig and recover, then that causes the most chaos. Denver's really bad at preventing turnovers, and the Warriors could capitalize on those for sure. If you hard double Jokic, then you're probably asking Monte Morris, Will Barton. Aaron Gordon, to be decision makers for the offense, and that is a tough thing. That is a really, really tough place to be, and they have to be precise. They have to be efficient. None of those options seem particularly great to me, but I don't think that they're going to do the one-on-one thing. I think they are going to prefer to dig and recover. That would be my best guess for what they decide to go to because they can mix up how hard they dig and recover and then kind of mix in some one-on-ones and doubles while still playing that middle game for the most part. Number five, can Bones Highland survive defensively? Will he be up to the task offensively? Two separate questions there, but it's, it's about Bones Highland. He's become Denver's sixth most, well, in a, in a Warrior Series, seventh most important player because you've got the starters, and then you've got Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers just jumped the line because of how important guarding Steph Curry is, and Rivers is Denver's best candidate to mirror Steph. But what, what of Bones? What will he do? Will he be stuck guarding Jordan Poole at various points? Are there going to be other guys that Denver can put him on? Is he going to have to chase around Steph? What of Clay? What if like Damian Lee or Chris Gioza or some of these other guys that the Warriors have, maybe Gary Payton II? Can he be on those guys? Will the Warriors pick on him? I don't think they will. They don't usually hunt mismatches, but they like to run offense. And they like to run off-ball movement, and that is something that Bones really struggles with. So I'm very worried about Bones. In a defensive series like this, where you need him to be precise, you need him to, be, to execute extremely well, it's probably the weakest part of his game right now. But on top of that, he can stay out there, kind of like Michael Porter in other series past. He can stay out there as long as he is up to the task offensively, as long as he is providing positive things on the offensive end and freeing up other guys, making sure that he's being a scorer, a playmaker, a passer, and just an overall positive force on that end of the floor. If he can do that, great. If not, Denver may bench him. That's a tough place to be because they really, really need the offense. If he can't provide that, then that'll that'll be really tough. But they might decide to go and and do some creative things with their bench lineups. I'm very curious to see what they land on. Number six, can DeMarcus Cousins survive in this series? Because here's the thing. I think that DeMarcus Cousins could swing the series in some form or fashion. Most of the minutes are going to be Jokic. Jokic. Most of the minutes are going to be where he is on the court Jokic. And then when he's off the court, Denver could also go small. They could also try to figure some other things out. But what Michael Malone would want to do is to play his guy DeMarcus Cousins. And for DeMarcus Cousins to be good enough and helpful enough on both ends of the floor to make a positive impact. I don't know if that's going to happen. I lost a lot of faith in Cousins kind of being fully engaged and... No, not engaged. Engaged is the wrong word. But being fully on board and precise and impactful and full of execution. When that T-Wolves game happened where you kind of let things spiral, let things get out of hand in a game that Denver really needed. you really rise to the occasion. So I wonder if this is a situation where he kind of does some of the same things against a guy like Nemanja Bielica or Draymond Green or others, or can he be a positive impactor? Can he be somebody who's a mismatch on that end of, of the court? Can he earn back possessions? that the Nuggets are going to desperately need playing against a smaller Golden State team. Is he able to impact the game on the interior against a team that loves to space the floor and splash threes? I think it's a fair question. And it's also kind of a fair one for Jokic, though I think he's kind of clear in that he's going to impact the game from everywhere, no matter what. But I'm worried about Cousins, worried about his mobility and also just his consistency in how he needs to impact the game. And finally, number seven, is Jamal Murray going to try to come back mid-series? I spoke about this before, but he tore his ACL in chase center. He's been around ball arena a lot. There's probably some weird emotions going on. But we will have to see how he responds and if he's willing to go out there and try to give it a try. I've been on the fence on this. At various points I've said if he's healthy, I think he should try to play. But that's only if he's right mentally, to be clear. That's only if he's right and is willing to to take a chance here because it's tough. It's a tough place to be for it, for anybody, but especially for him because this is where his injury happened. So is he going to try to come back in this series? Sham said it's unlikely that he's trying to come back or that, that he does come back, but who knows? Like maybe this is a thing where he continues to work out. He continues to improve. He continues to get comfortable And once he gets to that place, if Denver has advanced to the second round, then maybe he's more willing to try it there. Or maybe it's a game five of the series kind of thing, where it's tied 2-2, Denver needs a big win, Bones has been struggling, Bryn Forbes hasn't really played, and Denver just needs 15 bench minutes from somebody that they trust. So they try to give Murray a try. Maybe it's just a 3-1 weapon where they're down 3-1 and they know that they need somebody to to really rise to the occasion. You don't think that, that Murray would want to get out and do that? That seems like a, a fun thing, a scary thing, a scary thing for sure, but a fun thing. So, I don't know, folks. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to handle it. And I certainly don't know if he's planning on coming back or not. I think he's trying to leave the options open. But saying anything more would be disingenuous. So, not going to really speculate on it too much. Like I said before, assume that he is not back. Assume that he doesn't play this year. And if he does play, be pleasantly surprised. Even hopeful at that point. That would be great. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe for Noel, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support. As always, I will be back... Let's go tomorrow. I will be back tomorrow talking about a variety of things for the regular season. I will be having guests on throughout this week to cover the team and also cover the upcoming series. We'll probably try to get back on Brady Klopfer of Unstoppable Baby on the Golden State site. Or actually no, it's not unstoppable. He's a Golden State of Mind, excuse me. That's a, that's a bad slip of the tongue there. Um but either way, should be very fun. Looking forward to the playoffs. The games really matter now. And we're gonna enjoy them one way or another. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you guys very soon. this is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design the kind of experience you can only find in a lexus suv a feeling this empowering is invite only fortunately you're invited